24 and 25. Let's read these verses together. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pause to say thank you. Thank you for your word, uh, the infallible, inerrant word of God that's able to um, change our head and our hearts and lead us to do those things which you've governed us to do with our, with our hands. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the gathering of your church. Uh, God, you tell us to not forsake this, but to do it all the more as we see the days approaching. And the older that some of us in the congregation get, the more it seems like those days are really approaching. God, we await your coming. In the meantime, Lord God, give us patience and faith and hope to endure in this crazy world that we live in. Lord, today we come in from all walks of life um, just wanting to hear from you, wanting to hear um, a word for us, for our souls. Uh, nourish us today by your word. Um, draw us to yourself. Change us by your gospel. Uh, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, so uh, two weeks ago, we talked about sex. Today, we're going to talk about money. That's like wham, bam, right? I mean, it's like, what's the pastor doing? Um, it really, you can't get more personal than talking about those two subjects, sexuality and, you know, what I do with my own money, or less that that's the thought, that's how we think about it. But we can't get around uh, those two topics because those are some of those most prevalent topics in all of, of the Proverbs. And so that's why we're talking about them today. Um, we can't live wisely unless we live wisely in the area of sexuality, but also in the area of how we, um, how we use our money. Um, many of you know that I spent a little bit of time in the Army, and uh, I deployed uh, yeah, four years, seven months of my life have been spent you know, in a combat zone, deployed mostly in Iraq. Um, I've, I've had some harrowing moments, moments where I did not think I was going to live. Um, but... The most memorable event in all of those deployments had nothing to do with the deployment. It had to do with a mouse in my house. Um, don't act like you have never had a mouse in your house. So um, I wasn't there, but my wife is a great storyteller. And I was a young major with the 101st, and uh, she sent me this email. I wish I had, I had a copy of it, but I don't. Um, it's gone with the wind. But I do remember what she said. In fact, I asked her a couple of days ago, I said, can you retell me that story about the mouse in the house? So, you know, my, this is my first deployment, you know, when we were, when we were married. And so uh, we're young. Our kids are young. I think Jonathan might have been barely four, David barely two. Uh, and so Larissa had the, the, you know, the fate that happens to most um, spouses when, they're, when their military spouse deployed. She had insomnia. She, I mean, she couldn't go to sleep. She was up late at night, and so she ended up watching late night TV. One night, she's on the bed in our bedroom. Um, we lived right outside of the Air Force, uh, the, the Army Airfield at Fort Bragg, and she saw something dart, you know, like dart under the door. She's like, Lord, like, you know, I, I, I don't want to look, but I got to look. And so she, you know, she did what a Christian should do. She actually prays, like, Lord, I don't want to know what it is, but I got to know what it is, and he showed her. Like, it's a mouse. And he's like, juk, juk. <laughs> so he's like doing his thing. And, uh, you know, come to find out, he had been doing that thing for a little bit. He had been in the house, like, laying his tracks all over. I mean, he had been, like, up and down the floors, in the pantry, and all kinds of stuff. And she does what, you know, my wife would always do. She threw everything away. But she was like, 
I mean, like scared out of her mind about this mouse. And like, why don't you just like whack it? No, she ain't going to do that. All right. So Jonathan, usually Jonathan would be the one that we would get to come and like just take care of stuff like this. Jonathan is, is just, I mean, he was like, if you tell Jonathan to do something, he just, all right, I'll go do it. He does it. But he was too young at that point. So what does my wife do? She calls her parents. Larissa's from Bassett. It's like the, the country of, of Virginia. They got like hills close to the mountain, only a couple stoplights in the whole town. And her parents know what to do about this stuff. And so she said, uh, she's like, her parents were laughing at her like, all get out. All right. So they told her, go get a glue trap. That's what you do. Go get a glue trap. And so Larissa, she got a couple glue traps. She's like glue trap, you know, everything. Particularly, she, she uh, glue trap along the, you know, the tracks, the, the mouse poop, pooping droppings as, uh, as he was coming in and out. And, uh, and so fast forward, one night he does his, I mean, mouse, creatures of habit, same thing. Underneath the door, long down the road, he was going for something. And he happens upon the glue trap. And so his hind legs get stuck on the glue trap. He's like pulling forward with his front legs. And she said he was making this little mouth sound, you know, and she panicked. So she called, she called her parents, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? They're just like pick him up and put him in a bag and throw him away. He's like, I can't do that. And so she got the end of a broom, the broom handle, the end of it got stuck on the glue trap. She's like, ah, what am I going to do? And I honestly don't remember what she said after that because, I mean, it was just hilarious. Uh, it, she ended up somehow managing to put the, the stuck mouse, you know, in a bag. And, you know, I would have just, like, whacked him. But my wife was a little bit more humane. She put him in a bag and, and let him go outside. All right, so um, here's the thing. Um, all, all of us are, you know, we're not the, the afraid people sitting on top of our bed uh, looking at the mouse come through. I think in, in, this, this, uh, in many lanes of our lives, we're like the mouse. There's all kinds of things going on in the world, and we're just going about our business trying to, trying to live, trying to make stuff happen, leaving a little bit of droppings everywhere, and every once in a while, because life can you know, kind of close in on you, um, we can get trapped. We're like mice, and those traps I mean, we tend to fall into traps, and these traps aren't new. They've been around for thousands of years. And so, in a sense, when Solomon and the writers of, of Proverbs talk about money and other su- subjects, um, they're identifying areas um, that we might get trapped in, that we need, to, uh, that we need advice for, and for which, uh, if we aren't careful, we'll run into um, those traps, and more importantly, um, have things happen in our lives that might ruin us. Uh, one of those areas that can be a trap for us is the area of money. Um, there's no way that we can cover everything that Proverbs says about money. I mean, there's a lot of just short, pithy sayings, you know, um, portable truth that Proverbs gives us in regards to the area of money. And so what I'd like to suggest for us this morning as we survey what Proverbs says is a summary of its message. And so when it comes to money, according to Proverbs, there are at least, there's a lot, but there are at least four things we need to know. And here's the first thing. Money is good. Money is good. Um, Some people have been very mistaken about their view of money. You know, there's thousands of people millions of people, really, um, who know very little about the Bible, uh, but nevertheless, they're pretty sure that somewhere in that authoritative, infallible, inerrant book, there's some line that says money is the root of all evil, 
Of course, that would make money bad, right? Guess what? The Bible doesn't say that. Now, it, it's close, but it doesn't say that. And we can err by not saying what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6.10, Paul speaking to his protege, Timothy, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is not the problem at all. Actually, the Bible says we're the problem. I mean, money is a material object. Okay, sometimes we don't, in our day and age, we don't even need money, you know, to, to, to use it in, in the various ways that we use it. But money is not inherently evil. In and of itself, money and wealth are more morally neutral. It's, they're neither good nor bad. The, any of the moral issues regarding money and wealth has to do with how we acquire it, how we relate to it, and how we use it. In other words, money is not the problem. The problem is us. This is what the Bible teaches. It teaches that material prosperity are actually gifts from God. Uh, Solomon, in a very similar book, Ecclesiastes, says this, chapter 5, verse 19, Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift of God. I mean, what's he saying there? He's saying that, I mean, if you somehow have amassed wealth and possessions, then you are, I mean, you are sure to, to be able to enjoy them if you want to. Uh, it's a gift from God. What's he saying? Money, um, money is good. That's what Solomon is saying. Now, uh, probably 90 degrees from this idea of some who would say money is bad are those that would, would, um, would say that it's wrong to to amass a whole bunch of money. In other words, they would glorify poverty. Um, some people think that it's wrong to save and to take prudent financial measures. You've met those people who, um, I mean, I would call them super spiritual and full of faith, so much so that they think it's anti-faith for you to depend on the money that you make and to save money for a future use. Um, they would pit their spirituality against financial wisdom. But of course, the Proverbs don't, dis, I mean, it doesn't endorse that view either. Uh, Proverbs doesn't also say it's wrong to make lots of money. So what does Proverbs say? Let's survey a few verses in Proverbs. Proverbs 6 um, tells us that we need to learn from ants and the hard work that they do. Uh, we're going to come back to this particular chapter in Proverbs in a few weeks and look at what the Proverbs say about our work and our labor, but particularly um, I mean, look at what these verses say about the ant. The ant, uh, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When, you will, uh, when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So basically, the, the, the wisdom here is that Storing provisions in summer and gathering food at harvest is a wise thing to do. And if you want to be a wise person with your possessions, with your money, with your wealth, you should do what the ant is doing. It says that poverty and scarcity come to those who are lazy. Proverbs 8 tells us that God often blesses those who are wise with wealth. Verse 18, riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. For the, the, the reward of a righteous life are riches and honor, and perhaps even enduring wealth. One thing to note here, and we've said this before, Proverbs aren't guaranteed truth. If, if you obey what the Proverbs says, it doesn't mean that um, 
there's no way that that's not going to happen to you. But it's general, it's, it's general wisdom for us to follow. If you follow these steps, if you obey the Lord in this way, if you use this wisdom for your life, then generally this will come to pass for you. Proverbs 13 says, We should gather money by working hard and savings. Particularly, verse 11, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Uh, for those of you that invest, this is, this is compounded interest, right? Put away a little bit every month systematically, and at the end of you know, 20, 30, 40, 60 years, you're going to have like 60 times more than what you started with you know, if, you, if you're faithful to do that. Proverbs 22 says, verse 4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. This idea of the fear of the Lord is the... the um, the entire theme of all the Proverbs. It says that wisdom begins when you fear, respect, be in, you're in awe of the God who started it all. I mean, where do you start with, with wisdom? You start with God. If you want to find God, you seek wisdom. If you want to seek wisdom, you know, go, go to God and you're going to run into it. And here it says that um, when we put, when, we, when the Lord is the one that we fear, um, out of our humility, he's going to um, reward us with riches and honor and life. Um, I think these are important scripture verses that, that teach us about the wisdom of what to do uh, with our money and how to think about money. Uh, one important thing, um, there are some people who glorify poverty and look at anyone that, that has money as, as being suspect, that someone that has you know, amass a lot of stuff. I got a nice car. I got a nice house. I earn a lot of money. Uh, they would say that that's, you know, that's anti-spirituality. I think what we've learned just in these few verses is, first of all, it's not wrong to be affluent. It's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to consider, uh, you know, money to be a good thing. Money is not, money's neutral. It's definitely not bad, but there is nothing inherently wrong with money. Uh, here's the other thing. There's nothing inherently good about poverty. I'll say this in a couple seconds. There is a bad, I mean, there is, there's worthy poverty and there's unworthy poverty. I'm going to explain that to you in a couple seconds. Money, the Proverbs tell us, is actually a blessing from God. So the first thing, money is good. Here's the second thing uh, that Proverbs tells us. Money brings danger. One commentator that, um, that I read in regards to this idea of money, Ray Ortland, says that because there's sin in us, we have the propensity to make money a curse. I mean, that, that thing that God would give us and that would um, have the potential of giving us a lot in life, we can make that thing a curse. Uh, in other words, like my mouse story, like my wife's mouse story, I mean, I mean they're, they're traps. Money can be a trap for you. And this is probably the biggest thing um, surrounding money in the whole book of Proverbs. So let's look at a, a few of the dangers or the traps that we can face when it comes to money. The first one is the temptation to make uh, money through unethical means. Proverbs 11, verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is, is his delight. This is uh, an interesting proverb. It's, it's all throughout the Bible. It's repeated verbatim two times in Leviticus. We find verbatim this same proverb four times in Proverbs, and it's, and it's said in some um, derivation of these words in other places in the Bible. And so anytime a scripture is repeated that many times, it's God telling us how important it is. God is about um, you know, honest dealing when it comes, comes to money. 
Um, here's the basic argument, uh, and it's a business. It's an honest business um, practice argument. When the weight of an item that's being sold is calculated dishonestly, it's detestable to the Lord. He's saying, if you're going to be dishonest, especially in your business practices, I mean, I abhor that. The, the word here, the Hebrew word for abomination, is a, is a pretty strong word. Um, it's usually connected to um, sexual sin, like cheating on your spouse. In the Old Testament, uh, the penalty for a sexual sin was the penalty of death. And so God is saying, if you're going to be dishonest in a business kind of way against other people, when you don't have to be, then, I mean, I, I, that's the worst of the worst. You can do no worse. Uh, here's another example. You sell your house, but you're not completely honest with the buyer about the condition of your house. I mean, have you seen that happen? Absolutely. People do it all the time. And sometimes we're not even caught by the inspectors that come and, and, do, uh, you know, and do the inspections that they do. Here's another example. You're in, the, in a business deal. You withhold information in order to make a sale. Um, if you do that, those are corrupt business practices. And what the Proverbs are telling us is that is an abomination. to the, I mean, he's like, it's worthy of death if we were living in the Old Testament times. Here's a second danger. This is a little more subtle than the first one. Uh, later in Proverbs 11, verse 26, Solomon writes this, The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Uh, here's a picture of someone making a, dis, uh, a business decision. It makes me, it reminds me of the, the gas crisis in the 1970s. Only a few of you in the room are old enough to remember that. But, I mean, it was a world crisis, you know, not enough um, barrels of oil were being produced, and there weren't enough to go around. And so we were, I mean, not we, I wasn't driving back then, but I was a little kid. I remember being in my parents' car, just going to a gas station and waiting hours in long lines down the street just to get gas. And so imagine if you are a small business owner and you have a commodity, and that commodity becomes very important because it's scarce, and you have a choice. You can either... Um, give it as you have it to those that come and it's first come, first serve, or you can like tuck a little bit away, you know, trying to hold on to it, you know, saving it up for yourself, boosting the price even more so that uh, you get more for it, for it and you're cheating basically your customers that come to you. So here's the, here's the thought here. Uh, it's, a, it's a community thing. Proverbs says, we can, I mean, we can, it's okay to make money. You should use correct business practices, and you should be thinking, uh, firstly, about uh, what makes good business sense. But it's also saying, there's another side to this, when what you do uh, doesn't, you know, in any way benefit the community, then that's wrong, and you shouldn't do it. It says, we shouldn't have a heart to, to try and um, create uh, a situation where the community doesn't benefit from a commodity that you that you have and that you should be willing willing to sell, and so if we if we do that, if we're the business person and we fall into that, then you're falling into a trap because of um, your love of money. Uh, probably the biggest danger or the trap that comes to uh, um, to money and uh, through money is one that's mentioned in verses like these. Uh, another survey of a, a few verses, Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Proverbs 18.11, a rich man's wealth is his strong city and a high wall in his imagination. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, give me poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that's needful for me, 
lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my, of my Lord. Now, the, the, the message is, is perhaps subtle here, but I mean, what is the commonality between all these verses? I think they're pointing out that when there's a problem with money, money actually is not the problem. The problem is, is us. The problem is with us. When we have money, we, we tend to put our trust in um, the money itself and how much we can amass, how much we can store, how much we can invest, and we see it piling up. And when we do that, we have the propensity. We have the, I mean, we're more likely to trust in that money and what it could potentially, potentially do for us than trusting in God who the, the perspective of Scripture is God is the one that gives you the ability to do the very thing that you do. So those who are rich often end up being more spiritually impoverished because money can become an idol in their life when they have this kind of view of their money. It's what they depend on rather than God. Author C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, writes this. He says, one of the dangers of having a lot of money is that you may be quite satisfied with the kinds of happiness that money can give you and so fail to realize your need for God. If everything seems to come simply by signing checks, you may forget that you are at every moment totally dependent on God, he goes on. Um, Let's cross the bridge and go to the New Testament. Luke 18, uh, 24 to 25. This is Jesus and, you know, the the really sad account of, of him and the rich young ruler. A rich man comes to him, and uh, he's a spiritual guy. Obviously, he's called a rich young ruler because he, he's important. He has authority. He has a lot of money. And he comes to Jesus and says, Lord, you know, how do I gain eternal life? And Jesus, knowing, I mean, looking at him, just knowing the man, says, well, um, fulfill the commandments. And Jesus names a couple of commandments, and the, the rich man comes back and says, I've done all those. I've done those since I was young. And I think he was genuinely saying, yeah, I, I've actually been obedient to God. And Jesus, of course, seeing him and, and having a little compassion on him, says, all right, here's the thing right here. Give everything you got away. Give all that money away. Give it to the poor. And, uh, and then come follow me. And what does the rich man do? He bows his head. He turns his back on, on Jesus, and he walks away because his money was more important to him than communion with with God himself. And so this, these verses 24 and 25 are on the heels of, of Jesus and this encounter with uh, the rich young ruler. Jesus says to himself, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. I can only imagine um, you know, because the, the disciples were perplexed. They're listening. They're looking at Jesus and this interchange is going on. And they see that, you know, they perhaps even knew this man. They at least knew he was affluent. And they saw him, you know, ask Jesus a very important question. Jesus give him an answer and the man completely walk away. And their response to Jesus was, well, Lord, I mean, who can be saved? And this is what Jesus says. He says these these words here um, that, it, I mean, it's, it's hard for, I mean, it would be Harder for this big, fat, two-hump camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to, to go to the kingdom of God. And, I mean, that's telling. I mean, it's sad, isn't it? But here's the deal. Two verses down, Jesus says, you know, um, this seems impossible with men. In fact, it is. But nothing's impossible with God. That's what he says. What does he mean by that? He's like, God, God the Holy Spirit, he's the only one that can change your heart. 
You can do a whole bunch of things to curb your behavior and make yourself look good on the outside, but God, the Holy Spirit, is the one that comes and just grabs you, squeezes you on the inside, gets all that other stuff that, that's not like him out, and makes you more like him from the inside so that eventually it shows on the outside. So Jesus says to them, um, it's impossible unless God intervenes. And that's the same thing for our lives. So, um, there, I mean, there really is a danger. That's what the, the proverb, the wisdom of Proverbs is telling us in regards to, to money and wisdom. There is a danger, and we need to recognize that this is a danger for all of us. Now, um, let me say this. Very few of you in this room feel like you're rich. In fact, if I ask, all right, so let's raise our hands. Who's rich? None of you jokers would raise your hand. And I, don't, I wouldn't raise my hand either. I ain't rich. Um, I mean, what, what does it mean to be rich in our world today? Uh, if you live in northern Virginia, then rich, I mean, to live in Kingstown, the average income is between 82 and 122, maybe bumping up to 150,000. You know, there's obviously people that make a little bit less, make a little bit more, but that's the, the general range of the people that live just right in this five, um, five square miles of, of where we live right now. And so if I ask someone that lives in the Kingstown area, I mean, what, what does it mean to be rich? If you make uh, a quarter of a million dollars, you might say, I don't know, if I had half a million, that might be rich. If you make half a million, you might say, well, dang, if I had a million dollars, that'd be rich. None of us would say we're rich, but rich is a little bit more than what we're making, you know, at least fifty dollars to $100,000 more, right? Um, but here's the deal. I don't want to put you on the spot. If you live in D.C. Metro, anywhere in D.C. Metro, you're within the top 4% of income earners around the world. You make more than, I mean, you're within the top 4% of income earners around the world, which means you're rich. Um, why do I tell you that? Uh, well, you might not feel rich, but indeed you are. And so we need to understand that money isn't bad, but it has dangers. And, it's, and you don't have to be rich for that, for money to have a danger for you. You can I mean, money can have you in its grips, and you only make a couple dollars, you know? And so Jesus talked about these dangers, and he warns us um, that the main alternative to following him is not going off the side and following some other religion or even becoming an atheist. What is it? The, the greatest danger for us, other than, you know, following some other religion, is following the religion of money. It's, it's making religion our idol. So let's uh, a summary of where we've been. Um, the first thing Proverbs is telling us, Money isn't bad, it's good. The second thing, money brings danger. Thirdly, uh, and this is very similar, money has limits. There's only so much money can do for you. Um, we can avoid all the dangers that come with money. Um, we can be completely wise in regards to how we handle our money. We can know in our heart that money is good and that has its limits. We can do everything that we're supposed to do ethically uh, and rightly with our money, using it for the common good, trusting God for it. But even then, money can only do so much for you. The Proverbs tells us that. Um, there's a lot of verses that touch on this idea. Um, one of the main ones I want us to look at real quickly, uh, Proverbs 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 4. It says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. I mean, look at what this is saying. It's like there's a point where your riches can't do a thing for you. Uh, but righteousness can. Righteousness can snatch you out of the gates of hell uh, if, if you have uh, a righteousness that's not of your own, but a righteousness that comes from God through Jesus. 
Um, and we should know that Solomon is not against wealth. You know, Solomon in, in his day probably compared to, to the most wealthy people in life today was one of the most richest people that walked, the, uh, walked planet Earth. And so he's not anti-wealth and anti-riches. But he is saying there's going to come a day when money won't do any of us a bit of good. And what does he call that day? He calls it the day of wrath. It's, in the New Testament, it's a day of judgment, a day when all of us will stand uh, you know, before some judgment of God. If you're a non-Christian, you're going to judge, be judged in accordance to your righteousness. If you're a Christian, you're going to be judged according to the, the things that you've done um, with the gifts that God has given you. But all of us will stand judged before God. And on that day, you can have all the money in the world. And it won't do you any good. Here's what Proverbs says. It says, in fact, even in this life, money can bring you headaches that others don't have. Proverbs 13, 8. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threats. In other words, what this is saying is um, the problem with having money is that you can be, if, I mean, if you're affluent and you got a lot of money, you stand more of a chance of being robbed of being extorted, of losing your money in the stock market, of making an, uh, a bad investment and losing everything, uh, more so than someone who has nothing at all to lose. And so someone is, is worthily poor, doesn't have the same hangups and hiccups that many of us with money stored up, saving it, investing it, has, um, which saves them from you know, being held at ransom because of their wealth. And so here's what we have. Money's good. If you have money, it's a blessing. But money comes with dangers and limits. And fourthly, this is what I want to talk about, and we're, we're going to be done here in a few minutes. Um, this is going to mess up my, my paradigm here, my little trick. Money's good. Money brings pain, and money has limits. But this is the fourth thing. All right, the Proverbs tells us that. Yeah, look at that long. Isn't that messed up? I couldn't think of anything better. <laughs> Proverbs provides the key to wise use of our money. What's that? Say it out loud, <clears throat> because I'm joking. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I shouldn't be drinking coffee. What did you say? You're going to pray for me? <laughs> All right. <clears throat> All right, so we come full circle. Proverbs 11.24. Now we're going to unpack this verse just a little bit. Proverbs 11.24. One gives freely yet grows all the richer, another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. We aren't going to spend a lot of time here. There's, there's, there's two things that this is saying to us. Firstly, it's saying that you should give. You should give freely. Um, the one who gives freely grows from what he's given. It's unexplainable. I don't know how God does it, but he does it. He, he causes the stuff that you've given to grow as you're giving it, giving it away. But then, this, this is the other half. It says, those that withhold what they have, important, those that withhold what they should give. There's, there's some obligation that God is telling us that we have to give. And if you don't give it, what happens? You suffer. Um, this picture of water, uh, who, one who waters 
will himself be water. It's a picture of blessing, to have water in the Old Testament times, springs of living water. I mean, it's just, it was, it was to, to have the abundance that you needed to, to subsist, to, to subsist, to, to, to go on with life and be able to sustain yourself. And so having water and not only using it for yourself, but using it to bless other people was considered a blessing. And so this is not just a, a proverbial thing. This is a, a biblical thing. I mean, all of the Bible sort of holds to this same kind of redemptive logic. Uh, but here, I mean, my point for Lindgren here is, I mean, we got to be honest. I mean, this is counterintuitive. Most of us don't think like this. I mean, even if we're Christians, we don't think that, all right, so I'm going to get blessed if I give my stuff away. And so I'm going to give it away liberally. I'm going to give it away freely, as the, as the Bible says. Common sense tells us, that if you want money, hold on to it. Save it, invest it, let it compound a little bit, and, uh, and it's going to be there when you need it for a rainy day. It's going to be there when you retire. It's going to be there when your kids go to school, all those kinds of things. Um, we're being told something a little different here. And, I mean, I even struggle with this a little bit. This is a paradox. We're told here that the best way to wisely handle our money and to get even more is to scatter it. That's what give freely means. Here's, here's the picture. It's like um, wildly, loosely, freely scattering your money about. It's, it's, it's saying, don't worry, uh, don't give a care about care and caution. Um, the best way to handle your money is, is to wildly and, ra- and be radically generous with it. I mean, whoever, I mean, you, you ever got any advice like that from anybody except for a crazy pastor? I mean, touting what the Bible says? Don't just save your money and accumulate it. I mean, it, of course, it doesn't say don't save your money. It doesn't say don't invest your money. It doesn't say don't accumulate your money. It says don't only. Don't only do that. And don't only do it for your own purposes. Uh, this is the way I like to think of this. Don't waste your life by playing it safe and living in a middle-class dream. Because that's what we, I mean, we're raised to think like that. This is counterintuitive. This is not... Um, 21st century Western American thinking. This is biblical thinking. Use what God has given you and be wildly generous with it. That's the wisdom of Proverbs. That goes against everything in our hearts to do with, with our money. This, this makes sense agriculturally. I mean, what does a farmer do? All right, so, I mean, can, can you imagine a farmer that just takes a, 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 a hoop, I, I know they don't do this, a, a scoop full of, of seed, and, and if he wants more seed, I mean, he just holds on to it. So I'm going to hold on to it and hold on to it see what happens. I mean, what's a farmer do? He takes the seed and he scatters it. And what's going to happen? That seed is going to implant itself, and it's going to produce not just uh, whatever the, 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 the crop is. It's going to produce a harvest. That's the picture that God is giving us in regards to our money, in regards to being generous. Two ways, two specific ways, not, you know, not in all the Bible, but in Proverbs, that we're supposed to be generous. Um, firstly, to the Lord, Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10. We've looked at this verse four weeks ago as we looked at Proverbs 3. To the Lord, um, Proverbs 3, that should say 9 and 10. Oh, oh, oh. All right, let's turn there. That's my fault. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Key word first fruits. That's not the tithe. The tithe, I mean, I'm not even going to say anything about tithing today, folks. You know why? Because first, we don't see that in, in, in the Proverbs, but, but here's the more important thing. 
the, the pride was at the time, it was expected. They were just expected to tithe. If you were uh, in the if you were in the family of God, if you were in covenant with God, you were expected to, to do that. And so, hint, hint. Um, if you're if you're a you know a regular tender of a church, uh, a covenant member, if you are a follower of Jesus, I mean you're expected to give. That, that's I mean that's that's what this is this, that's what this means. Um, first fruit. It's not the tithe. It's the best portion. It was giving, I mean, like the, the, the best of what you had, whether it was a grain uh, or something, something from the harvest or an unblemished animal. It was to give the best. Break this down in two ways. Um, this requirement to the honor of the Lord is um, foundational principle for, for gener- generosity. I like to think it's, this is why stewardship. Stewardship is the concept of um, what you have doesn't belong to you. Okay, you're just a steward, a manager of it. And so we honor God, that is, we display his significance in our lives by offering him first fruits. Two things. We give as a matter of priority. That's what a first fruit means. And so I'm going to give um, priority over other, you know, over all my incoming wealth to God. Doesn't mean I'm going to give all of it to him. I've got to live, but I'm going to give the, the priority of what I have to God. Okay, I'm not going to pay my bills first and then um, recreate and then go out to eat five times. And, oh, I got like ten dollars left. I'm going to give that to God. Um, it, it's it's deciding up front, making it a priority to make as part of your giving um, a generosity to God. But it's also um, we give as a matter of sacrifice. That's a that's a daunting thought. We don't think about that very much. David says David was. Um, um, he was trying to find a spot for the temple, and he had gone to a landowner, um, and the landowner was going to give him not only the land, but an, the animals to sacrifice uh, as he dedicated uh, the ground for the temple. And David says, I'll not offer anything that costs me nothing. So we give as a matter of sacrifice, and that simply means my giving to God should cost me something. You ever thought about that? Your giving to God should cost you. It, it shouldn't be easy. We should want to give. It's part of our service to God, but it shouldn't be easy. C.S. Lewis says this, if your generosity is not affecting your, uh, not affecting your lifestyle, your vacations, your purchasing habits, you're not giving enough. I mean, think about that, folks. That's, that's a hard word. So two ways to be generous. We're generous to the Lord. Here's the second way. This might shock you. We should be generous to the poor. Tens of verses in Proverbs that talk about our relationship to the poor. We're gonna in a few weeks. We're gonna talk about um, the wisdom of our relationship to poverty and the poor. It's that important. Okay. On September 25th, we're gonna have Freedom Sunday, where Saju's gonna come in and he's gonna talk to us about the mission of International Justice Mission and what they do to rescue um, people who are in slavery all around the world and have been sub, sub, uh, uh, trafficking. But on the heels of that, we're all gonna, also going to bring up this topic of what should we be doing as Christians um, in regards to our, um, what obligation do we have to the poor of the world? Proverbs nineteen seventeen: whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 22, 9, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed for he shares his bread with the poor. We think many things about the poor around the world. We think many things about the poor in our own backyard. But here's what the Bible says. We can't ignore them. We have an obligation to them. 
There is such a thing as unworthy poor, and those who become poor because of negligence, they've wasted their money, they've squandered it, um, or they're just downright, um, they do something wrong. Okay, but there are worthy poor. Jesus says, we're going to have the worthy poor around us forever. And those who, those are just people who've been dealt a, a hard lot in life, and they can't escape the, the, the situation they're in. And um, the picture that the Bible shows us is that God loves them. He loves them dearly, and, uh, and he uses entities like the church, the people of God, to care for people like that. All right, let me get off that. Cross over to the New Testament. Here's what Jesus says about gener- generosity. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is another agricultural example. I'm not going to take a long time here. But it's like you got some grain, shake it down so it's compacted even more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heap a lot more on so much that it's not only compacted, but it's running over. That's what Jesus says will be the... Uh, the result of you simply giving to the Lord. Um, Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 and 19, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. All right, so let me get off that. Why are we talking about um, money today? More than money, just uh, money and wisdom. Well, we're, we're talking about it because um, it, it's prevalent in Proverbs. We're not talking about it because the church needs money. I mean, you've heard me say that. Now, here's the truth. Without money... I wouldn't be standing here. Um, the, you know, we wouldn't be able to rent this school. All this equipment and stuff, I mean, we, we bought it with money, some of it that you have generously given, that people not even in this room have sowed into us, that a church might exist where there was no church. And so, you know, in a sense, money does make the, the world go round. But the, the perspective of the Bible is, is um, I mean, we're not here because of our money. The church doesn't need your money. This church doesn't need your money. And the reason why we don't need your money is because money is, I mean, it's, it's good in itself, but money has dangers and it has limits. And the main biblical way to neutralize the danger and a limit of money and ultimately to save our soul, this is the Bible's remedy. This is crazy. The Bible says give it away. Why? Because the money is an idol. It's one of the most prevalent idols in your life. And God's solution for you is that you would be generous, that you would be generous to God himself, that you'd be generous uh, to the poor, that ultimately you'd be generous to the church, because the church is the, is the trusted agent in God's world um, to be a mediator between you and how, you know, your generosity and, and how we should measure that out to the different agencies um, that we're able to give to as a body together. God encourages us to be wildly generous. Ironically, and this is what these verses have said to us, the more we give away, the more God will entrust to us. And that's guaranteed. I've seen that in my own life. And our model for this, of course, by the way, is God himself, who in Jesus 
is the most generous person to ever walk the planet. Jesus didn't just give a little bit. He gave a lot. Jesus gave everything. He was literally scattered and broken on the cross for us. And because of his generosity, um, we get to reap the harvest uh, you know, through eternity from what Jesus has done. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, last verse, and I'll be done. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, through, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Let's pray. Lord, money uh, is, is an interesting thing. Uh, we need it for so much. It really does make our world go round right now. But we have the propensity, like, the, like a mouse, to get trapped up in it. Um, we can, it. It can get worse. Money can become an idol for us. And so I, I pray that you would help us to walk wisely in regard to what we do with our money. Um, Lord, for whatever reason, uh, you've placed us in a prosperous country. There's, there's so much wealth in this land that we live in. Um, many of us in this room don't think we have much, but the reality is you have blessed us greatly. You've blessed our nation. You've blessed us individually. You've blessed us even as a young, small church. We thank you for that. And Lord, we just want to acknowledge your blessing. Lord, today I pray that you would awaken us both to the, the trappings, the dangers, and the limitations of money. Preserve us from um, the thinking of those middle-class people who would be self-absorbed and would hold on to our money without um, heeding what your scriptures say about sowing it wildly and generously. Lord, I pray that you would um, help us to lay up our treasures, not here on earth, but to lay them up um, in heaven. For when we do that, we surely will reap uh, an eternal reward. We pray that in Jesus' name.